This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. Today is Wednesday, August 24th. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today from Pro Football Focus, it's Seth Galina. Seth, how you doing, man? I'm great, man. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm excited to do this show with you. I'm excited to record this show from my house. This is the first podcast I've done from my office in a month. I am finally back from my training camp travels, sort of. I'm going to see the Bears this afternoon, but that's a commute for me. So all of my drives over 45 minutes are done, and it is nice to be all set with that part of the calendar. And the nice part about that trip, though, is that we get to take some of those conversations and put them back into the show And that's what I wanted to do today. I wanted to talk to you about, let's call this superstars in new circumstances. And the reason that's vague is because I want to fit a bunch of different guys under one umbrella here. So there are a bunch of players that have either had a great pass catcher traded away or a great pass catcher who has been traded away. Just guys that are going to be in very new surroundings heading into 2022 that we haven't talked about a ton on the show up to this point. Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, all of those receivers that got traded. One guy who there's been a lot of turnover in his organization that you want to talk about. So that's what we're going to dig into today. And I, you were the person I wanted to have this conversation with. Well, I mean, uh, I certainly appreciate it. Um, I want the listeners to understand that you won't let me publicly um, give my Bears takes. And <laughs> that they can, they can text me. Uh, I'll give them my number after the show if they want the Bears takes. We'll, we're going to save those for a different show. The NFC North preview is going to be the first preview that me and Nate do when we start our division previews next week. If you want to just jump onto that show and just rip off some Bears takes I, for like 90 seconds, you're more than welcome. I, I will say that me and Nate are currently beefing about the Chicago Bears and their quarterback. That's all I'm going to say. I'll leave it at that uh, and we can get into we'll talk So about you're just we, out. I came here to talk. I look if you want the full thing please it's a I I, I work on a subscription based model so you have to pay 9.99 for me for my full bear steaks <laughs> but all I can tell you is that me and Nate are are um, on two uh, sides of the of the of the hallway um, on Nate, on Justin Fields my head is closer to your side of the hallway my heart is closer to Nate's side and it's created a lot of internal conflict that I'm working through at this current stage of things <laughs> All right, let's get into some guys that we we do think are pretty good and we're pretty sure are pretty good. Let's start this conversation with Aaron Rodgers. And the timing worked out really well here. I actually sat down with Aaron for a bit yesterday and we talked about this. We talked about how different life is going to be without Devontae Adams. And there are some teams that lose a number one receiver. <sighs> the Titans this year, the Chiefs this year that guy leaves and you can kind of understand what it's going to look like without him. Not because the guy we're discussing isn't a great player, but just because of the prominence within the offense. I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to imagine what the Packers offense looks like without Devontae Adams because of how central he is to what they do. I don't think there's a guy who meant more schematically to an offense, to a passing game, let's say, outside of you know the actual quarterback than Devontae Adams last year or the past couple of years, everything ran through him. Uh, what, and they would put him in different spots. And we know this, you know, his usage was just, oh, I'm an outside receiver on the left or I'm a slot on the right or whatever. Like they would, they would vary his usage. They would use him on whether he was, you know, the, the first target, you know, the primary read on a quick game side, whether he was a primary read in a deeper concept, whether he was something else. 
And then you, you have to add in that I don't think there's a player in the league who commands the respect from a defensive secondary that he did. The, like, we, we always have a hard time measuring this, and I know a lot of people have tried, like receiver gravity. Just from watching the film, I don't know if there's a, a receiver with more gravity than Devontae Adams over the past couple of years. You see all the deep throws that Rodgers has made to like guys like Lazard and, and, and MVS and all those players. So many of them are a safety who has their eye on Devontae Adams and letting another receiver streak behind their head or jumping up on Devontae Adams and then letting receivers streak behind their head. Like it happens all the time. And yeah, I mean, th- this is a guy who's the offense ran through Devontae Adams. Now, obviously you have Aaron Rodgers who is the, the you know, the, the trigger man of this whole operation, but still schematically the whole thing ran through, ran through Adams. What Rogers told me yesterday is his estimation, probably 80% of the passing concepts, concepts last year were built with Adams as the number one player in their progression. That's insane. Like, just think about that. Just think about how central that person is to everything you do if it's 80%. And what they would do is, like you said, they would move him around to different spots within the formation. They would tag the plays with where he was, and they would literally build the play around creating a matchup for him within the structure of the play. And you just don't have many guys, really any other guys, I think, in the NFL right now that are at that level. We'll talk about somebody that I think can get there in in Justin Jefferson a little bit later in this show. Maybe Cooper Cup, you know, to a certain extent. The Rams did such an intentional job of putting him in those spots last year. But even somebody like Jamar Chase was not like that last season. He spent a lot of his time doing one or two very specific things just because he's a rookie and they're trying to bring him along slowly. By the end of this year, maybe you have three or four guys that are inching toward that sort of respect and that sort of prominence. But last year it was really Devontae and then I think one step down from that was Cooper Cup. And now what does it end up looking like because of that? The, The only guy I will add in is before his time was up in Houston, DeAndre Hopkins. When he was playing in an offense where they did move him around, obviously we know now when he goes to Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona, just playing, you know, left wide receiver, uh, like 500 <laughs> steps at left wide receiver, like that's it's very it's very different in in, in the way that they, he can use his gravity. Um, but with with Houston, I mean, I, with Houston, it was Will Fuller. Will Fuller caught you know you know 25 deep passes, and they're all because DeAndre Hopkins, you know, had the safety's attention on like 20 of them. Uh, but yeah, so th- those two for me in terms of gravity and in terms of like, you know, m- making them the focal point of the offense. Uh, for me, Devonta Adams is the, is, there's no one, I don't, you can, you can put other people on the same line as him in terms of like where you rank the receivers. I just don't think there's anyone better than him, if that makes sense. And yeah. he just does, yeah, he just does everything. And that, that, you know, you're trying to like be like, okay, what, what, what does this receiver do? What's he like? What, what does he do? And it's like with guys like this, they just do everything. You, he can run everything. every route. And, and the coolest part was, I said coolest part. This is like a very small part, but I, I liked early on in the, in the LaFleur tenure in, in Green Bay was they would use him as like a, as like a screen guy, like bubble screen. They still do, but like a lot less. The RPO guy, RPO screen, RPO bubble. It's like, just put the ball in his hands. He can do literally everything. Um, so, yeah, that's a tough loss, I'd say, for the Packers. Uh, it's be- even beyond like the prominence within passing concepts that are more traditional. Like, all right, he's going to be the guy that we put in the slots or on a slot fade because we like this matchup. He's going to be the guy we put on this choice route because we like this matchup. 
I've always really appreciated when those two guys played together, how they kind of had the game in the palm of their hand because of some of that RPO stuff. Like the control they could exert about the flow of a basket of a football game because they just could spit it out to him in those advantage looks and really just dictate on first and second down. It feels like a point guard. It feels like a point guard who has just a real ability to kind of control the flow of a basketball game. And now you lose that. And I think that they'll be totally fine. They have the two-time reigning MVP as their quarterback, and they have an offensive coach who I think is very, very good. Without some of his staff, by the way, something that I think is worth mentioning, but an offensive coach that I think is very good. Now, they're just kind of playing offense like everybody else does. And I think that they have a really, really good quarterback, and they'll be fine doing that. But instead of saying, all right, we're going to put this guy in this spot and draw up this play for him, now you're just running plays and what Roger said to me yesterday is, now it's his job to determine what the matchup is within those individual plays, rather than the structure of the play dictating the matchups. And I think that's going to be the biggest kind of overarching philosophical change in the way that they operate. Look, like you said, they have Aaron Rodgers. We were talking about one of the best quarterbacks of all time. He still is going to control everything in that offense. And I know that you know when you look up like the on-off splits of Devontae Adams over the last couple of seasons... They've been pretty good without him. I don't love using that. I don't like extrapolating that to a full season without your number one player. Um, but they have been good without him. So, like, there is, like, so- something to, to go off of. There's also, like, every year, like, before De- Devontae Adams was drafted where Aaron Rodgers was still a really good quarterback and there was still a really good offense. So, like, <laughs> there's there's obviously a lot to go, to go, to go off of um, minus Devontae Adams. But I just really – it's going to look very different. It is going to look extremely – different i wonder if they run the ball a little bit more if they create more uh you know advantageous looks off play action for for rogers i mean they were good off all that stuff but you could always just drop back and do some really cool stuff in, the, in a kind of like progression passing game with him that i don't know if you can do as much because you don't have Devontae adams i think that a few things you're going to see them lean into a little bit more they are going to push the limits of how you can use pony personnel 21 two back sets in the nfl in this day and age. I think we're going to see them do it in ways that really no one else has. If you look at the ways that a team like the Colts, who I think have done it in interesting ways over the last few years, a lot of Naheem Hines lined up as a wide receiver in those sets where he's coming in jet motion and you can leak Jonathan Taylor out and play action. And they've done a really good job of creating easy chunk completions out of those looks. I think you're going to see the Packers push the limits of what you can do with both of those guys lined up in the shotgun next to each other on either side of Aaron Rodgers and what that allows you to do because it provides some really cool flexibility. It, defenses don't really know, all right, is that is it two by two? Is it three by one? How do we treat this? Which one of those guys can go out in the pattern? Which one of those guys is going to stay into pass protect? How deep are some of those routes? Are, is he going to run a choice route from that spot? Is he going to run a vertical route from that spot? I truly think they're going to do some stuff out of those looks that we've never really seen a modern NFL team do before because those are their best 11 players. And I think that they have to figure out where the limits of that exact personnel package exist to figure out how the best version of their offense can exist. I, I would I see that 100% of the time. I, th- I think, you know, something that just popped in my head as you're talking, just the lack of Devontae Adams means a lack of trust, I would say, as of right now. You know, we haven't seen Rodgers with the first team on on television yet in the preseason, but... The trust in those one-on-one throws on down the side. You talked about the slot fade before. You know, that trust, it, it, he's clearly not there with, especially with their outside receivers. Like, I don't know 
who, who you know, if Christian Watkins, um, if Christian Watkins is, is going to get a lot of run, haven't really seen that early. We know Romeo Dubs is a Hall of Famer, so that clearly, they're you know, like that's clearly going to be a guy who they're going to use on the outside. But like you got to trust a guy that you can just put that ball on the back shoulder and he's going to go make a play, or you trust him enough that you know, you know, if he's even, uh, I'm leaving and we're going to put the ball over top, like. That's such a big part of their offense too. Like we can talk about all those concepts they do and they go and dagger and they do this and drift and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, well, at the end of the day, Rodgers is the best back shoulder thrower of all time. That's just a one-on-one route. Like you It's all timing and trust. That's all it is. Right? Like it, that, it, that's scary, man. I, I would totally agree. And I asked him about that yesterday. I said that just the – how you guys were always on the same page, that mind meld that you've created, not having that. And he said, you know, it's not to the same extent. But I, I feel very, very comfortable with Allen at this point. We've played together for a long time. He knows exactly where he's supposed to be. And now you're going to see Allen Lazard on some of those more advantage-type throws. Just think about a slot fade in your mind, okay? The outside guy's running a quick little hitch or stop route to pull that guy down. And then the guy from the slot is running a fade. Allen Lazard used to be that stop-down hitch guy on the right side because Adams was the guy running the fade. Now, Lazard's going to be the one inside running that fade along with a bunch of other different type of people. So he, I think that's the guy he feels the most comfortable with. And obviously Randall Cobb and him, they played together forever at this stage in his career. I'm not sure how effective Randall Cobb would be in some of those. We're going to draw shit up for you moments. I think with the younger guys, it's going to take a while. I just do. He said that, you know, there have been some mental mistakes from, from Watson so far, which is to be expected. I mean, the guy was hurt for a good chunk of training camp. There are going to be a lot of things that he has to get used to. So it's going to be fascinating. I will say, I think the one thing outside of the two-back stuff that's going to get cranked up, the amount of gimmicky bullshit that's going to be involved in how this offense runs, I think it's hard to overstate. So you go back to that Arizona game last year when Adams had COVID. I mean, Lazard missed it as well, but that that I think is fine. I think that we can do more of a one-for-one transfer there because Equiminia St. Brown played, and he's just that big-body guy that can do some of the things Lazard can do. On the first play of that game, you have Amari Rogers just streaking in jet motion and then them pitching the ball outside to Aaron Jones. The and just the amount of nonsense, like little leak out screens. They had Jones run a sluggo from the number one spot against Isaiah Simmons on the first drive. That's what you're gonna see. I mean, you're just gonna see so many interchangeable pieces, including the backs, doing a lot of weird shit within this offense because they used to be in a place where having Devontae Adams put them in an advantageous spot. Just just having him, period, did that. Now they have to put their guys in advantageous spots. Yeah, and I think that's something that I think LaFleur will feel very comfortable doing. I think that's I been totally part agree. of what, where he's been, you know, in his coaching career. So I don't think that's a problem. You know, Roger said something a couple of weeks ago when they asked him about this whole thing, right, with receivers and stuff, especially the rookie receivers. And he, and he talked about, you know, I think they asked him whether, you know, it was good to get them reps in the preseason. He said, yeah, okay, yeah, it's okay to get them reps in the preseason. But really, like, the issue with preseason is the defenses are so vanilla. And what we see in practice is real defenses where they have to make real adjustments on the fly. They have to figure out who's coming. And, like, so when I think about this offense, it's going into year four, right, LaFleur and Rodgers. And we remember how slow, I mean, look, they got to the NFC Championship game, but we still remember how slow this process was year one. And then it kind of exploded. They they got trust in each other and it exploded the past two seasons. And now you're almost starting from scratch with all those adjustments. You know, like you said, like hot routes and sight adjustments and, and understanding where the soft spots and coverage are with these with these young wideouts. And, and one of them, 
you know, one of the two rookies are going to get a, a lot of playing time. You know, unless Sammy Watkins and and Cobb are really um, really prove themselves to, to, to that Andrew that Aaron likes them, but like the, one of those two guys and probably Dubs at this point are going to get a lot of run. So this to me is another factor where it's like, okay. Well, we have this this complicated offense that we've been working towards for four years. Now we kind of have to take a step back in certain aspects. Again, I go back to the same thing. The quarterback is really good. And the quarterback is really good. They're going to be okay. But there's still a lot of... This is still interesting stuff to talk about. And if they aren't good, I think we can go look back to this this conversation we're having and probably find a few points of why they're not good right here. I also think it's going to be more two tight end stuff early on when Tanyan gets back. Because Degura does like weird stuff for them and just like that dirty work kind of half hybrid fullback tight end stuff that they want him to do. I just think we're going to see a ton of different personnel package and a, a ton and a ton of wonky efforts at solutions to problems. And I think that's going to be a huge part of what we see, especially early on when they're folding those guys in slowly, because I don't think dubs or Watson is going to be a full-time player early on. I, I think it's going to be a ramp up even as we get into the regular season. All right. I'm going to move on to the guy that they're losing here and what he might look like oh, in yes. Las Vegas, because yes. your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> You and I were talking about this before we were when we were talking about the show and, and kind of getting to it. Devontae Adams with Josh McDaniels is a weird fit. And I'm not saying it's a bad fit. It's just so different than anything we've seen from the Patriots in 15 years. I mean, really since Randy Moss was there and Brandy Moss was a very different type of player than Devontae Adams is. So was Brandon Cooks. I mean, Brandon Cooks was probably the best outside receiver that the Patriots have had in the modern Patriots era of offense, and he still isn't a guy like Devontae Adams. What is your best guess for what type of usage Devontae Adams is going to get with the Raiders? Yeah, that, that's a tough thing, and and we have to also remember that they have two other pass catchers who are really good as well. Yes, in, in in Las Vegas, so it's like figuring out a, a, a role for all of them is going to be really interesting. Like you said, I mean, I don't know what this what this offense is going to. I think it'll clearly be good. They have too much talent for it not to be good. Offensive line is an issue, as we know, but too much talent for it not to be good. I I really, you know, this is a thing where I don't know what it's going to look like. I think he'll be mostly uh, as an outside receiver, but you know, even. And, and obviously, this is a new offense with Josh McDaniels coming in. But, you know, they have Darren Waller. Darren Waller was like an X receiver for them. He, he would split out wide as like the ISO receiver in three by one and do run all that stuff, kind of like running the Kelsey stuff and, all, you know, all that good stuff. And it's like, well, it's tough to like not want to put, obviously, Devontae Adams in that role. Not really, obviously, the role for Hunter Renfro. Renfro is going to be the slot receiver. And, and do his stuff in there, and that's all, that's going to be good. And obviously, we know the Patriots have, have had so much success with those type of players. So not really worried about Hunter Renfro in that, in that way. It's just going to be where they play Waller and Devontae Adams. And, I, and I'm kind of, like you said, I'm kind of at a loss. He, it, there's going to be some similarities to what they did in, in, um, in Green Bay. He's going to be the one-on-one player. He's going to be back shoulder. He's going to be over the top. He's going to run digs that get post routes over the top open for him and all that stuff so there's gonna like it'll be good i just don't know like the usage rates and what concepts they're gonna run talking about waller is that outside x receiver is what i keep coming back to because i just think you waste Devontae adams by not using him inside a decent amount and it's it's interesting with green bay because green bay's other receivers were all erasable 
you could just kind of move them around because it didn't matter and put Devontae wherever he was best. But Hunter Renfro isn't that way. He's not somebody you could just move around into different spots and kind of as a faceless receiver out there who blocks pretty well. He has to do one thing very specifically. And Devontae Adams... Devontae Adams is so fucking good, man. Uh, you're just thinking about <laughs> all the ways that we're talking about he's him. He's so good. Because you, one of the best things he does, he's incredible on choice routes. He is so, so good at them, but that's what Hunter Renfro does. So having three guys now, really three guys, because Waller can do it too, and the Raiders did a ton of it over the last few years. How do you put the right guy in that spot if all of them do this thing pretty well? And that's if I'm trying to draw a through line between what the Patriots have done forever, what the Packers did a lot of over the last couple of years with Adams and what the Raiders did a lot of, because I'm sure Derek Carr is going to have some, this is what I like aspects to this. It's just choice routes and option routes because those three teams have done a shitload of that with great, to great effect over the last few years. But so how do you get Devante inside? I think a lot of it is Waller as the number one guy. And I also think you can do some of that in empty because that's what the Patriots did a ton of when Brady was there. They went away from it with Mac last season. But when Brady, his last season there, I think they were fourth in the league in empty dropbacks. So just think about that. If Waller's furthest outside at number one, you have your running back furthest outside at number one on the other side. Now you have Renfro and Adams as inside receivers in some of those looks, and they can exploit that space. And then you have Waller all the way on the outside. These are just like spitball ideas because I truly don't understand how the pieces are all supposed to fit together in the right way, even if I do think the end result is probably going to be pretty impressive. This just popped in my head as you were talking, so I, I could be totally off here, but I, I wonder if it looks like in the same way. Now, I think that they will move Devontae Adams around a lot because he's just, again, we're talking about one of the best receivers in the game right now. But I look at what the Cowboys have done over the past few years when they bring, they brought in Amari Cooper, who was just like, you know, number one receiver for from the Raiders. And then you bring him in here, and he's really the quote-unquote Z receiver. Michael, Gallup I think he spent 99% of yeah. his routes off the line of scrimmage last year with the Cowboys, which I, I was shocked by when I saw that stat. Yeah. Gallup is on the line of scrimmage, and then you have, you know, CD is in the slot. And then, now, Gallup and CD are not comparable in their play style to Waller and Hunter Renfro, especially CD Lamb and Renfro. We understand that. But they brought... Cooper in and he played the Z receiver spot. So in, in like a trips formation, he was the widest player um, to the three receiver side a lot. And like you said, off the line of scrimmage. So I think there's there's a way to do this um, where you can fit everyone in. But I do think it's going to it's not just saying, OK, well, he's the Z and you're the X and that's it. And you're in the slot and we just run from there. It's like it's going to be complex which is why I can't understand it because I don't have that type. Of, I don't have Josh McDaniel's brain, but like it's going to be complex. There's going to be a lot of moving pieces. It's not just going to be like the X is over here all the time. It, the X is going to be here on some snaps and he's going to be there on other snaps. And I think that to me is the best way to get use of, of all these players. The Raiders best four receivers on the field at the same time are Darren Waller, Devonte Adams, Hunter Renfro and Foster Moreau. Correct. Yep, 100%. And even what that looks like, I'm just like, I don't know. <laughs> like, where yeah. do those guys line up when they're all on the field together? I don't know. It, there are just so many questions, and I'm fascinated to see what they think the answers to those should be. It's why the trade, even when it happened, I was like, okay. 
Like, I, I guess I get it, but so much of what Devontae does well is because you can move him all over the place. And, and now, it, it almost even though you want the best players possible, always, like, give me the best receiver that works. If you're thinking about how the pieces fit together, having just a outside the numbers, vertical, I am an X receiver type player as part of this equation actually makes more sense with the way the pieces fit than having somebody like Devontae Adams. This makes you more flexible, raises your ceiling, all of that stuff, but it's harder to conceive I think for people who have seen Josh Josh McDaniels' offense in practice. Yeah, I think, you know, you're trying to they're going to have to find ways to to take the top off of defenses, which in a sense they don't have. You don't think like, Connor Renfro can do that? I don't think so. But I, I think the, but I think Devontae could. That's cuz he's cuz this we're talking about like again we're just like a guy who can do everything. I think he can be that guy. Who maybe gets more deep targets than he ever has? Like I don't know, maybe that maybe that on you know, post routes and stuff like that. I don't know, man, corner routes. I don't know. Like maybe that's that's a way that they can, um, to a certain degree, like you said, kind of raise the ceiling. Well, you, how do you raise the ceiling? Well, explosive plays, and and that might be the guy who does it for them. All right, let's move on to another quarterback here. Patrick Mahomes is in a slightly different world now without Tyreek Hill. Me and Nate talked about this a lot when we did our Top 10 Offenses show earlier this week, just about the ways that they've had to evolve already, the ways they'll continue to evolve. What is the number one thing you're excited to see about this version of the Chiefs offense without Tyreek Hill? The, the quick passing game. Because I think that a lot of people are saying, well, and I, and and like we've seen it in preseason so far, like they're going to play with heavier personnel, they're going to go under center, they're going to run play action. I think that's good. I think where they where they can be lethal is that Mahomes is is lights out on quick stuff underneath, you know, eight yards or whatever. I think that's where you can also mitigate all this stuff that defenses are showing them. Certainly, you can do it with a run game. Certainly, you can do it with play action and getting safeties to bite up and all that stuff. But you can also do it with really good quick game passing. So that's where I'm like, okay. And I think they kind of have the players for that. Now, I will say Tariq Hill is can do all that stuff anyways. Like he can run a slide, yes. he can run an out. Like he, oh, he's we'll get to we'll get receiver. to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like he can do all that stuff. But I think it it it's. That to me is where I'm most interested in because I just now I think that they can get through a regular season doing doing that stuff. Um, it's just like in the big games, like you're gonna need your quarterback to go and um, and be super pinpoint in the underneath areas. And there were times last year where Patrick wasn't, and I don't think that's that's ever been his game. Now because of the guy we're talking about here, Patrick Mahomes, you would believe <laughs> that he can add this to his game, right? Because because he's he's a savant, right? Like he's that good. So so like um that's to me where where I'm curious, and I think they have the players. Um, again, like I said. Um, Tyreek could could do a lot of stuff, but you know I look at guys like Juju Smith-Schuster, Sky Moore. I absolutely love. So like I think those are guys that I can that can do that stuff. Obviously, we know uh, Travis Kelsey. I think another thing that I'm very interested about with this offense is where Travis Kelsey plays. He, whether he was like the isolated receiver or you know any other time he was on the line of scrimmage, his stats were just not that good. And I wonder, so the, the first thing you have to ask yourself with Travis Kelsey is the age. He's going to turn 33, I think, in, the, in October or something like that. 
he's not a, he's not a kid anymore. He was like obviously like the 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 box score stats were there. He caught like ninety two balls or whatever, a thousand whatever yards. Like he's always gonna have that. He's that good. But there was a definite slowdown. He couldn't get off press as well as he could, and that was a big part of of why they had some issues on the Chiefs' offense. I think moving him around, getting him off the line of scrimmage, is going to do wonders. I think having a guy like Sky Moore who could potentially play X, I think Juju may, may be able to do that. I think that, you know, having him be the isolated player like that is going to help the whole offense because I think it takes some pressure off of Travis Kelsey. And that's, those are the things I'm kind of curious about in this offense. It's funny because I think people are looking at Sky Moore and Juju and thinking, all right, how can these guys help the Chiefs operate in the world that we've seen the Chiefs operate in before, right? If teams are going to be putting a roof over them, they're going to be having to play against more soft zone coverage, and these guys can operate in soft zone coverage. That's what Juju does. Like It's literally the thing that he's best at. I kind of go in the other way, where this team faced 300, this team played 315 snaps against seven or eight defenders in the box last season, okay? 315. Here, here's some context. The next closest team in the league was at 368. Okay. So so 53 more snaps than the Chiefs had. The Niners, 615. The Niners played 300 more offensive snaps with seven or eight defenders in the box than the Chiefs did last year. And I have to assume part of this decision, and I don't want to read too much into one preseason game, even though I do think they're going to do a little bit more of it, but it's the reason the Bills did this last year. I want to get some fucking linebackers on the field. Like, I just want to make this a tiny bit easier on us and a tiny bit easier on our quarterback. So are they going to see less of that? And so maybe having Juju is nice, but at the same time, that's why where MVS comes in. They still have some juice on the outside. Like, how they decide that they're the ways they're going to try to dictate to defenses this year, that to me is going to be one of the biggest things that I'm watching because I just have this inkling that they just don't want to slam their heads against the wall for an entire another season again the way they had to last year. And with Tyreek not on the field, they don't really have to. They're not obligated to try to build their offense this way. So uh, you bringing up the Bills uh, is something that I want to talk about because I think when you talk about them bringing heavier personnel on the field, and it happened, I believe, around their Week 9 matchup after they lost to Jacksonville last year. They scored, like, what, six points in Jacksonville? And then, and the Bills, for, you know, all of 2020 and, like, let's say the first half of 2021, were this, like, super spread team. And no one really wanted to talk about it because we were all, like, you know, salivating over the Kansas City Chiefs. The, the Chiefs. The Kansas City Chiefs who were, like, this, you know, again, the super spread, the super spread team and, like, Oh, spread offense and, and, and Andy Reid is taken from college football and we don't use that narrative. And it's like, oh, the Bills were like the spreadiest team that you'll ever see, right? And they got nervous. And they said, oh, okay, wait a minute. We had a tough one at week one against the Steelers. We had a really tough one at week nine against the, the Jaguars. And we got to do something different here. We can't just put this all on our two best kind of players to just always make a play. And that's Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. And that kind of what, to a certain degree, what, what the Chiefs were doing. It's like, well, we can't just all always put this on Mahomes and, you know, Kelsey slash Tyreek Hill. Like, we got to find a way. So what the Bills did was, we're going to go under center. We're going to put a fullback on the field. 
we're going to we're going to make you think we're going to run the football and the funniest thing was over the second half of the season their pass rate on first down was the same you know what changed <laughs> they went from like 29th in play action to 5th in play action Oh, they, they faked you out. They, they fooled everyone. They said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're changing everything, guys. Like, oh, we can't do the spread thing anymore. And then they still threw the ball, uh, like, whatever, 65, 80, 70% of the time, whatever it was on first down. I think that's where we're going to see. If, 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 I don't think you could, you want to run, you know, like, like you said, kind of in that too high world. You don't want to, like, live in a world where, like, okay, all we're seeing is too high and we're going to beat our head against the wall. You kind of don't want to do that with running the football either. So you can hopefully fool some teams like the Bills did into thinking you're going to run the football with your heavier personnel packages and then actually actually throw it like the Bills did. That's exactly what I'm getting at. Uh, that's what I think that their strategy is going to be to, some, to a certain extent. Reggie Gilliam last year, zero snaps in week nine. 21 snaps in the backfield and as an inline tight end in week Let's 10. Go. Good job, Good job by you, buddy. Very, very good there. All right. Let's move on. I, I want to talk about A.J. Brown and uh, how he fits into this Eagles offense. We've talked about this a little bit, this idea that I think that Jalen Hurts targeted the middle of the field on 9% of his dropbacks last season, which was the lowest rate in the entire league by a ridiculous amount. A.J. Brown is most dominant over the middle of the field as a receiver. How are you squaring those two things in the way that A.J. Brown fits within this offense? Yeah, it's it's weird, right? It's like he, he fits and he doesn't fit in the offense. He fits because I don't know if you know this about AJ Brown, but he is a hell of a football player. And hell of a yeah, football he's player. He's very good. Fit. Does a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Those players fit in any offense. But you're you're hundred percent right. Like Hertz has not targeted the middle of the field over the over his two seasons. You're hoping that some development and some trust comes into play here. And the trust that AJ Brown will win on all these in-breaking routes, slants and ins and all that stuff, glance routes, like all that stuff that he's so good at, like you said. So you're just hoping that there's a, there's a, um, an uptick in like, like processing to a certain degree or maybe not even processing, just a, a, a willingness to throw to those areas. Um, but I also think that AJ Brown can, like I said, he can do other stuff. He can run comebacks. He can run all that stuff. I think it'll be interesting, um, seeing their usage with, with the tight ends and 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 Devonta Smith, two outside receivers, right? And I think you'll you'll get a and it's really up to Hurts now, but I think you'll see some stuff that the kind of the Titans, in a sense, tried to do last year by having two elite outside receivers in Julio Jones and AJ Brown. Now, is Devonta Smith Julio Jones? Uh, no, obviously. Um, in terms of like the fact that one of them is clearly going to the Hall of Fame, one of them is in his second year, but also just the fact of play style. We understand that we have a very big receiver and a very small receiver, but he can win on the outside, Devontae Smith. Like yes. he's he's a, he's a nasty man out there, man. Like he can play. We are forgetting so, how like, good Devontae Smith is in this yeah. AJ Brown conversation. Everyone consistently is. I was there the first day. I was at camp the first day he was back. I was like, holy shit. Like, I totally forgot how good this guy is in football. And now he's in his real role. He is a 1B kind of number two receiver, a supercharged version of that. And, and I think that he is going to really turn some heads when the season starts. So you can run all that stuff that, that I think, the, like I said, the Titans were trying to do. Not maybe in, in exactly the same way, but you can do some of that stuff that they were trying to do and, and, and have it work. And again, it, it does go back to Hurts 
you know, his willingness to throw those type of balls. But um, I'm excited for this offense. I know you, you, you know, you had them. Um, I'm kind of in between. I think where you and Nate had them on, the, on your list of offenses. I'm, I, but I, but I will say they might be on my top five list of offenses to watch on a, on a weekly basis because I think they're going to be fun when they get the quarterback run game going. When they get you know an opportunities where they're playing with two tight ends on one side. You know, and like your friend would call them uh, like YY wing. Hip, or, or yeah, hip slot. Hip slot, yeah. hip slot. That's the yeah. one. Um, and, they can, and they can now put A.J. Brown in the slot on the same side as Devonta Adams. Like, uh, as, as Devonta Smith, like that is a cool formation. And they can do so much stuff in the run game and the pass game. It's, it's, to me, it's, I'm most curious to see what this offense looks like than anyone else in the league because I think you have, you have really good options there, um, with Goddard included. So I like it. I, I'm, I'm curious about Jalen Hurts' development. That's really the only hold up here. Um, if he can, if he can be the player good and going into his third season, like he, he's got to be that player now. He's got to throw the ball over the middle of the field, but, um, cautiously optimistic about them. I don't even think that his processing needs to take this huge jump for them to start attacking that area of the field. You wrote a piece in February about the uptick in RPO usage around the NFL. And there are more teams doing it. I think it was 17% of all dropbacks or something within that range. It's a pretty drastic difference from what it was even two or three years ago. And if you, the Eagles used a ton of RPOs last year. Yeah. But if you look at, relatively, when if you look at where they were targeting the field on those RPOs, it's all in the flat. It's all like little shitty, terribly inefficient throws on those RPOs. Just just flip it a little bit. And I went back and watched. I know Hertz wasn't playing. But the first drive of their preseason game against the Browns, they ran two RPOs, both yeah, hitting yeah. over the middle of the field. I know. They were just, and one of them, I, I actually think this is perfect because teams run more man against the Eagles than you think they would because of all the RPOs, I think, in part. Because with a running quarterback, you wouldn't normally see it, but a lot of teams play man against RPOs. So it was a pick play with a slant RPO from the number one receiver. It was like the, the third, second drive of the game or the first drive of the game. And I watched that. And I'm like, there it is. Like, that's not a complicated play. It's actually a very simple play that's not asking your quarterback to read out a lot. So if they lean into that kind of stuff where that's just easy money, like you're not asking your quarterback to do a ton. You're putting your best player in the best possible position and you're creating space for him with a little pick. That's the type of stuff I'd want to see more of. The other thing, they ran it with Minshew. Just downhill, quick hitting play action from under center. And I don't know if they want to do that with Hertz. If you look at the numbers among quarterbacks, at least 200 dropbacks last season or 200 attempts, Jalen Hertz was 30th of 33 quarterbacks in under center play action plays, 29 of them. Ryan Tannehill was number one at 142. Do they want to keep Hertz in the gun because of just his ability to run the ball? Do they feel like they're kind of defanging their run game if they don't do that? I just think you're giving away opportunities if you don't sprinkle a little of that a little bit more of that into your offense because of what AJ Brown can do. I I, I agree and that you know when, again that goes back to like what were the, what what were the Titans? And you just you just mentioned it. You, you just mentioned Ryan Tannehill. Like what were they? When they were clicking. It's downhill run game and then the quick glance route for a big play to to whoever was playing receiver for them and mostly AJ Brown. And then his yards after catch numbers are incredible. So I think that you will see an uptick there. It just, it's tough because, you know, I always go back to the Saints game last year and I'm like, they just could give, they gave the Saints so many problems in the quarterback run game 
And all that comes from Hurts being gun, right? Like that, you, you know. can't. You're not gonna run triple option from under center, right? So it's like, it's I, just, I, I agree. But it, but it is, it is just finding that balance because I do think those are big plays, and I've seen teams try and run that type of those type of play action concepts from gun, and it, it, I don't think it hits the same way, and that's kind it of doesn't. obviously the issue. It just doesn't. So yeah, I think I think they'll have to find that balance because it, it is using. You know the guy you just traded a bunch of first round picks for the best, period. From what we've seen, now maybe that was maybe that was a, a, a thing where he was tied to Ryan Tannehill, and that's what Tannehill wanted to do, and that's what the Titans are do, wanted to do. And maybe we can see him kind of you know become a more uh, to a certain degree well rounded receiver in terms of the routes he's running. But but I agree with you that they're gonna have to do more of that to get him involved at least early until they figure it out. I also think that if when you watch the second version of the Titans offense, kind of the year after they were this efficiency monster, the first year that Tannehill was there with Arthur Smith, they had a lot of change-ups where you got those big overs or even kind of those, those glance routes and he's breaking back outside because you're playing with tendency. And that's where Jalen Hurts can throw the ball. And they might be galaxy brain in this where they're like, we know teams think that we're going to do this, so we're going to already go to the changeup that we have that our quarterback is actually better at throwing. So I, I'm totally with you. I cannot wait to see what it looks like with him and Smith and this run game and where Jalen Hurts takes a step forward. But I do think that trying to tap into that as much as possible is the easiest way to use A.J. Brown, and it doesn't even require that much imagination. We already see them doing some of that shit in the preseason game, even if it's with Gardner Minshew. All right, let's get to our next receiver here. Tyreek Hill going to Miami. So I don't think this is as complicated as I thought it was going to be because I went and I went back and I watched a ton of Debo targets from last season. Tyreek Hill can just beat Debo Samuel. Like outside of the run game stuff, I don't think they're going to put him in shotgun and let him run the ball a hundred times, but the ways that they created yak opportunities for Debo Samuel, I think we underrate how stout of an athlete Tyreek Hill is. Like other than, I mean, there are a couple different things to dig into, but I think it's more of a one for one kind of just throw him into that role than it might seem at first glance. I really do. So again, like I said it before, Tyreek Hill can play he's good so he can play a lot of different routes he can play a lot of those positions he's good he can take slants to the house he takes out routes he takes like six yard out routes and he then he faces up the defender and then he makes a move for a first down like there's no one else in the league does that like so he can do all that stuff uh he can you know so that that i i kind of agree with for me when i think about the dolphins offense i'm 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 very curious about the tight end usage and all that stuff that's going to be the biggest question for me. Like you're, I don't. Someone, someone had said this to me. Like that, that um, Mike McDaniel's had said that you know they want Gesicki to be more of an inline blocker. It's like, well, I look, I, I, I don't know. I don't see him as that type of player. Like so, when I think about the 49ers offense over the past couple of years and what they've been able to do personnel wise, which is have a fullback on the field and have a tight end on the field, it's like. Yeah, but those guys are different. Kyle Juszczyk and 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 Kittle are, are different players, man. Like they can do whatever you want them to do. Gesicki can't do that. We haven't seen him do that. He's a really good wide like wide receiver. He's like literally a wide receiver. He plays the most snaps by a tight end outside, right? Like he's so like he's a good wide receiver. He's just not a good tight end right now. And so that's the thing that scared like that, that I just don't know about that offense because now you're talking about you got to have Gesicki on the field. 
I think, because I think he is a good receiver. Well, guess what? You also have to have the two actual receivers on the field and Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill. So tough to be this three wide receiver offense and then still want to play with a fullback, still want to play with another tight end who can actually you know sit there in line and block people. So I keep going back to the same thing where I'm like, I think this offense is going to look like the Miami Dolphins offense from last year with another piece involved. Because I think... No, I think so you're going to see more... I think you're going to see more more boot plays, right? Like you're, and we already saw it in the preseason a little bit, you know, booting um, Tua out. You're going to see all that all that quick hitting glance stuff, which you ran with with Debo and Brandon Ayuk. You're going to get Waddle, and you're going to get Tyreek, and you're going to get Siki on those routes. You're going to get the RPOs. I just think you're going to have more shotgun, and not not that the 49ers didn't like kind of run from shotgun. Like they had some good runs out of shotgun. You're just going to see more of it. Um, so then I'm like, well, that's just kind of, kind of look like the Dolphins offense from last year. Just, it, it, it just like, it should be better, right? Like we, we, we think that Mike McDaniel is a good coordinator, a good, uh, a guy who's going to put players in the right positions. Okay. So it'll be better. Uh, we think that adding a guy like Tyree Kill will make the whole offense better. Great. So it should be better. Obviously, we know it comes down to Tua, but the offensive scheme should be just better, but it, it might really look, kind of similar to last year i the tight end thing is a huge question and and i don't know how it ultimately shakes out i think they live in 21 personnel and see what happens because i think if we're trying to make one-for-one comparisons alec ingold is closer to kyle Uzcheck than mike isicki is to george kittle as far as skill sets go and i would i would try to do as much of that as i could because i think ingold's kind of a fun player i think some of the things they asked the raiders asked him to do over the last couple of years i can see that when i'm talking about the ways that Debo was used as a receiver. When you think about, so if you look at the numbers for this, okay, Debo was number one in yak per reception last year in the NFL. Brandon Ayuk was sixth. Strangely enough, Cedric Wilson was ninth. Guarantee you that's not a coincidence as to why he's on that team right now. But if you think about, and some of the Debo stuff is just tunnel screens. Think about the one he took to the house against the Cowboys, and Tyree can do that. If you just want to pitch it out to him, give him a layup, let him go to work, I think we're going to see a decent amount of that. But I'm thinking about all of those high lows over the middle of the field where the number two receiver is just sitting down and they're trying to pin down whoever that guy is. And then Debo's coming on that big glance route behind it. And that Niners offense is just throwing the ball into windows. It's throwing the ball into windows and letting guys just go. And when I thought about Tyreek fitting with Tua, my first thought was vertical, taking the top off, all that stuff. And I'm like, no. That's not what they want to do with him. They want to use that speed going horizontal. If I'm, he's catching the ball in a window, he's just outrunning safeties that just don't have an angle. He's just erasing angles on his way to the end zone. And that's where Debo did a ton of his damage last year. And I think that that's where Tyree can do a ton of his. So if you want to have, let's say, Gesicki is kind of flexed out in that spot. He's just sitting down, pulling down linebackers and letting Tyreek work behind it. Or Jalen Waddle can do that. So now you have two guys that if we're getting them moving left to right or right to left, getting them the ball in a window, we're just trying to have them erase leverage on the way to the end zone. We're getting them the ball on the move as often as possible. And I do think that works. The biggest difference is that we talked about it with the Chiefs. Jimmy last year was number one in plays with seven or eight defenders in the box. Number one in the NFL. And he missed two games. And he got there. Okay. He was sixth in the league in cover three snaps last season, despite how little the Niners threw the ball relatively. He was fourth in EPA per dropbacks on those looks. When you look at the defenses the Niners were playing against, 
it looks like 2013. It's very weird when you think about the broader trends around the league and some of the things they could do because of that, where you have Ayuk lifting the coverage and then you have Debo coming out a big over route behind it. A lot of that shit doesn't work anymore because teams aren't willing to play that way. But when you're lining up with 21 and 12 and running the ball all the time, you have to do that. And I just don't know if the Dolphins have the personnel and the fortitude to stick with a game plan that keeps teams in those sorts of defenses. And then what does the offense look like? That to me is the biggest disconnect between what the Niners have been and what the Dolphins can be. Because I think I mean, those routes off, over the middle of the field, two is fine. He, he can throw a slant to Tyree Kill. He can throw a glance to Tyree Kill. I, I don't think that's the, the most difficult quarterbacking in the world. I think he can do some of the shit that Jimmy Garoppolo did. But it's whether they have the de- offensive structure to allow that to happen. Oh, and then there's the added thing, which is like, well, what, what what were the things that caused the 49ers to have issues when they had issues, which is like, we can't get the ball down the field to these playmakers. Like Debo, you talk about Debo and and and, and, and Kittle and uh, and Ayuk. I mean, those are all really good players. They're pro- like, they're going to see a completely different usage out of all three of those guys with Trey Lance. There, Regardless of whether Trey Lance is good or not, like, you're going to see completely different usage. So... Going back to the Dolphins, it's like, okay, well, we we know that we can do this type of stuff. It's going to be part of our offense. Like you said, um, those like and, – and that offense, when it's clicking, it's beautiful to watch. When they're getting the ball out, one, two, three, and throwing those those like speed digs and, and glances and all stuff, it's beautiful. It's like, can we hit those balls down the field? And that's obviously been Tua's issue as well, right? Like, can we get the ball down the field? Now, obviously, you are – you've gotten better. You you have a guy who tracks the ball at an elite an elite kind of uh, skill skill rate like in Tyree Kill like he, over the top ball still go get them so you're you're hoping that that adds to a another year of Tua development going into his third year and then b just a guy who will go track down those balls um, I think is is a uh, is a good bet that they will be able to do those things that the 49ers couldn't now again it goes back to Tua but. I think you're probably in a better spot there with those receivers. It's interesting having two guys that theoretically can be the one who lifts the third level off the defense and then the one who can exploit that space horizontally. Having two of those people and the way that you can kind of interchange them theoretically, that's a cool idea. And I'm curious to see what it looks like in practice. All right, let's get to our next one here. Justin Jefferson is walking into an offense that I am very excited to see Justin Jefferson walking into. What are you looking for with Justin Jefferson's fit and what Kevin O'Connell does and how it fits in this Rams-esque system? Yeah, I, I, I wonder if it's it's going to be – it's interesting. It's very interesting because I, I, I think like he could do – he probably could do more than Cooper Cup in terms of usage and alignment and stuff like that. I'm not saying he's better than Cooper Cup. I'm just saying, like in terms of usage and stuff like that, he can probably add to it more. And I just he can run by people. Yeah, like it's so it's like it's a different player and and as a guy who you want as a focal point of the offense. And and he's a good blocker, man. Like he's a dog. So like you're you're getting a guy who you can really move around in ways that I think you you maybe had a little more trouble with given the personnel that you wanted on the field under the last regime. Bingo. 
so now you can you you're you're gonna play more eleven personnel. I mean, look, they're gonna run outside zone. They've been running outside zone for the past ten years. They had you know Kubiak, the Kubiaks were there. So like that, in a sense, is not gonna change. You're gonna get play action off it. Kirk is gonna look good again. Like in 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 the, on those type of plays, you talk about getting a lot of cover three. I mean, that's the Vikings get a lot of cover three. Put a fullback on the field, get a lot of cover three, and then it just using. Um, Jefferson on the outside to run the, you know, what we saw from OBJ last year. You know, last in the progression, big in route. Um, if the quarterback needs him, he's got him. He's going to be open. You know, you could see him as like the, 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 the guy who's running the cup routes, you know, you call it like arches or whatever in the middle of the field, like using Jefferson off the line of scrimmage getting a bigger player in front of him. I mean, he's a big guy, but like getting another guy in front of him to kind of pick for him to, to, to get free releases and stuff like that. I think there's so much stuff you can do with this guy because he's, he's that talented. But like I said, I think like being able to move him around is going to be the biggest difference. I think going from, from what, what honestly on paper, not on paper, but you know, when you watch a play, it'll probably look kind of similar from the broadcast view. Um, from what they've done in the past. But moving him around, being more 11 personnel, I think is, is the way to go there. It's the biggest change. So the Rams last year, 83.3% of their plays in 11, number one rate in the league. The Vikings were at 42%, which 29th in the league. So almost twice as many snaps with three receivers on the field. So just think about that. If there are three receivers on the field and Jefferson can play all of the spots, the game you're going to have to play before every snap is where the fuck is Justin Jefferson? Yeah. And that's, you're going to have to do that consistently because Justin Jefferson can do anything you want an outside receiver can do. He can run past people. He can run those dig routes that you're talking about. Totally comfortable doing that. In college, Justin Jefferson was a slot receiver who ate on choice routes. That's what he was. People weren't sure if he could play outside in the NFL. So now you're moving him back into a place in this offense where he's going to run a lot of those choice routes on third down, and he's totally comfortable doing it. And that's what when you're saying he can do more stuff than Cooper Cup, he can do all the stuff that Cooper Cup can do as a receiver, and he can be your prototypical outside the numbers, I am an outside receiver, this is what I do. But within this offense, they're not going to ask him to be that all the time. He spent 25% of his routes in the slot, in, or snaps in the slot last year. I would say it's at least 50 this season i I would not be surprised by that at all and you just didn't see that many stacks and bunches in that offense last year because you didn't have that many receivers on the field you can't do it if you're if you got a fullback and a tight end on the field so i you went there and it's funny because i think a lot of the time when you're having these shifts between ideologies offensively you think is this a square peg in a round hole does this make sense but with the vikings their best group of players is kj osborne adam thielen Justin Jefferson and Irv Smith like that is their best group so they're not square peg round holing it and I think that part is really interesting I was up there I I talked to multiple members of their coaching staff about this and I think that the one thing you will not see I don't think you'll see Justin Jefferson in in the run fits quite as often as you did with Cooper Cup he can do some of it but I don't think he wants to do as much of that dirty work and I don't think they'll ask him to do as much of that dirty work he he was really good at LSU because, like you said, he played in the slot. So, like, when LSU – LSU won a lot of tight bunch in 2019. So, given that he was always going to be the, the slot guy, like, he had to be in that – in in the grime, in the muck. And he he he, he was good, man. 
he was really good. So again, it won't, he doesn't need to do it. We're in the NFL now. Like he doesn't need to do it. Um, in the same way that Cup w- would have done it or Robert Woods would have done it, but, um, he could, I think, if he wanted to. He absolutely is capable of it, but yeah. I don't think that they're going to ask him to do it quite yeah. as much. He's not putting his yeah. face in there on combo blocks as often as Cooper What Cup was over the last couple of years. And, and I'm really interested in, we're going to dig more into this when Nate and I talk about first year play callers tomorrow in relation to Kevin O'Connell and what the structure of the offense overall looks like. But I'm telling you, I think you're going to see Justin Jefferson do as many things as you saw Cooper Cup do last year outside of the run blocking. And the, the biggest thing with that is how are you going to double him? Like how? You just can't do it. Really the only game, talking to people with the Rams and the Vikings, about that Cooper Cup was doubled last season, truly doubled, was the Cincinnati game in the Super Bowl. And it's because OBJ went out. That was the only reason. They could d- truly double him because they didn't have to worry about Beckham. And there's really no way to do it when you're putting him in these situations. Like what you said, when you're giving him free releases on some of those plays, it's going to be really, really difficult for teams to double him. And when the- I think Thielen and him together on the same side is something you didn't see a lot of last year just because there weren't a lot of receivers on the field. You're going to see more of that. And the last thing I will say, and this is kind of digging in the conversation that I'm going to have with Nate tomorrow, CJ Ham is a good player. That, that is the biggest personnel difference between this group with the Vikings and what the Rams had over the last couple of years. And I'm excited about 21 personnel with a fullback that's broken up and empty. I think you're going to see a lot of that with the Vikings, similar to what the Patriots have done in years past, similar to what the, the Niners do every once in a while, where that fullback is at the number one receiver spot. You kind of have to honor him as a receiver because CJ Ham can do that type of stuff and what it opens up for you elsewhere. That's like the one little wrinkle that I'm sure Nate and I will talk about. But I will say, like, as much as I like CJ Ham, who is like kind of like the modern fullback, like if, if we're not talking about Kyle Juszczyk, because that's like the completely different type of player, um, you know, you're talking about Ingold and Ham, really the modern fullback. I wonder if, I wonder if Dalvin Cook actually looks better in more single back sets. He just seems like that type of player. He's a really smart running back. Like, I wonder if he's if that's if it uh, if it makes him like a little more um, you know the, the spreadier concepts in the run game help him a little bit more. I'm not sure, but uh, it might. His numbers in eleven personnel. I don't have them in front of me, but they are very good over yeah. the last few years, and I'm excited to see him in that too. I don't think CJ Hamill played nearly as much as he had over the last he couple seasons. Can't. But I think they'll sprinkle him in in ways that the Rams obviously couldn't because they literally didn't have one on the roster over the last few years. All right. Last guy you wanted to talk about. Somebody that I think is in new circumstances, kind of an underrated way. And that's Michael Thomas. We have not talked about the potential changes or the tweaks within the Saints offense at all on this show. But I know that your brain is focused on that a lot more than mine is. So what what did you want to get into with Michael Thomas and what you think might be different this year? I, he's back. That's. It. I mean, I, I, I say that. I say that as the news comes out that he has a hamstring injury. But um, he just, you know, you're looking at the videos from training camp and stuff, and like he's as smooth as ever. And you, and you think about the Saints and where they were a year ago, even even with um, you know when Jameis was you know with their starting quarterback healthy, the receiving core was absolutely abysmal last year. Just not very good at all. And now what you've done is you've added, hopefully, two number one receivers. You're definitely, if he's healthy, have Michael Thomas, who's a number one receiver. And you took a guy 12th overall in the draft. I mean, he better be a number one receiver if you're taking him behind. You (laughs) traded all those picks for him. So, 
Like you're adding two two number one receivers, you're getting your starting quarterback back. I think this could be a a, a low key like dominant offense this year. Now, the offensive line needs to be better for sure. Um, the the guy they picked a couple picks after Chris Olave has got to play well um, as a pass protector. But I think this is uh, this can be a really dominant offense because I think one of the issues that Saints had last year was. I looked at a guy like Marquez Callaway, and he played the Michael Thomas role to a certain degree, and he, and he's just not that player. Um, good number two, um, ish, but he's just not that player. And now you're getting a guy back who who no matter who the quarterback is, they will have trust in finding Michael Thomas. And then, you know, one of the things about Chris Olave that I'm really interested in is I do think. There's a role for him down the field, although the Saints do have Deontay Hardy, who, who's, who's put up some really good numbers on, on, on the kind of deep targets and stuff like that. It's just like he could be another well-rounded receiver. You look at what he was doing in the preseason. like He's winning on slants. He's winning on outs. He's winning down the field. Like He can win in a lot of different ways, and I think it creates this offense that with Kamara there, with Taysom Hill in his good position which is a tight end who can really block and really run routes like it, it could be really dangerous how do you feel like Olave is different and what do you think he gives them that really no other receiver that's played with Michael Thomas has given them because that's kind of what it feels like to me yeah. just in terms of the vertical juice that he can provide that offense along with all the well-rounded stuff that you mentioned yeah because it's 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 the it's the vertical juice is like not like Teddy Ginn Devery Henderson those guys that's all they have. They gave you one thing, right? Exactly, yeah. right? Robert Meacham. They gave you one thing. And and he gives you hopefully more than just that. And that's where you, you know he can win one-on-one. You know, if they if they try and double Thomas, like he can win on the on the other side of the field. So he can play in the slide, he can play out wide, just like Thomas can, right? Like Thomas can play in the slide out wide. So I think that to me is where um kind of the, the, you know, even Brandon Cooks is kind of, that that would probably be the closest, like the one year that Cooks and Thomas played together. That Thomas was a rookie. That I year. wasn't sure I if they mean. had when I asked that question. Yeah, well, I think I think Thomas's emergence in 2016 as a rookie was the reason they traded Cooks in the first place because they said, "Well, we have this guy." By the way, um, so you know that would be probably the closest because I think Cooks kind of gets underrated as a as a as a well rounded receiver as well. So that that to me, I would totally be agree. Closest. Yeah. Uh, and 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 then again, it's just like Jameis for a full season. Now, I will say, you talk to any Saints fan, uh, and you ha- you happen to be talking to a t- talking to one right now. But you talk to any Saints fan, and we're we're, we're like, oh my god, if we had Jameis for a full season, there's no doubt they'd be in the playoffs. Blah blah blah. If you go look at my tweets during the first five weeks of the season, even though the Saints were like five and one or, or four and one at that time. You will see the biggest hater of all time against Jameis Winston. It's like he's not throwing the ball. He why is he taking his shots downfield and all that stuff? So it's like we we've we've romanticized the 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 quick start by the Saints last year before the James. Ian Buckle tra- and do- Trevor Simeon will do that to you, by the way. <laughs> you yeah, start telling will. yourself a story real fast. Uh Trevor Simeon, he's yours now. And treat him well because I thought he was very he was very solid for the Saints last year, and I fell in love with him. But I'm glad to have James back. Uh, I'm happy for you, buddy. Uh, I think that your, the prospects for your NFL team uh, to bring this back around to the way we started the conversation might be a little bit better than mine. Seth Galina, 
Really, really appreciate you doing this, my friend. Uh, Always love chatting about this stuff with you. Really appreciate the time, buddy. We'll chat with you soon. See ya. All right, guys. That's all we got for today. Thank you so much to Seth for his time. Thank you guys for listening. We will be back tomorrow with Nate. We're going to talk about some first-year play callers that we are excited about going into this season. In the meantime, please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Please subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash football show. One more thing, please subscribe to our YouTube page, The Athletic Football Show and The Athletic. We're not starting it up quite yet. We're going to do a lot more video stuff this season. We have big plans in the works with me and Nate and Deontay. We're really excited about some of the stuff that we're going to be rolling out here over the next few months. So go subscribe now because that's going to be coming to you before you know it. And you'll be happy that you got there early. All right, guys, that's all we got. We'll talk to you tomorrow. See you later. This was The Athletic Football Show.